Hi, and welcome to On the Blue Couch. I'm Kathleen coming to you from my couch in my office in Lakeview, an area of Chicago. This podcast provides information, inspiration, and reflections on all things that happen within us and around us to live today and fully. This is episode nine, After the Trauma. Hi all, and thanks for listening to this ninth episode. Uh, Yes, we'll be talking about trauma today and specifically around what exactly trauma is and moving into ways in which to effectively treat trauma because there are effective approaches out there and I think the more people know, the better. So we had ended the year uh, really talking about setting goals and how to follow through on those goals. And so I took some time off to really think about what is it that I want to talk about next? And so I thought the first podcast of this year uh, should be about something that I'm really passionate about. And I'm very passionate about the field of trauma. There has been a great deal of decades, in fact, of research that have really contributed to what we know today. Um, And so I will be providing lots of links from uh, current kind of trauma researcher and authors that are out there that, you know, share their perspectives and really make uh, trauma treatment more integrative uh, and effective today. So the short of that is I will provide you with links um, and actually a couple of videos that will highlight a little bit of what I'm talking about. Okay, so my website is onthebluecouch.com. So go there if you want any additional information. I also want to say that if this is uh, your first time hearing about exactly what trauma is, you're definitely going to learn a lot today. Uh, and if this is an area that you know you know a lot about, I hope you get a little bit of a new, newer perspective. I know that I often do uh, when I go to different trainings. Um, the other thing is, if at any time this podcast gets triggering for you because I think in talking about trauma, trauma itself is overwhelming. And so for people who especially have histories of trauma, um, and there's a whole range of what that can mean, uh, podcasts can be, or any sort of information can be triggering. And so I just want to remind you that you can stop this at any time and you can always come back to it. So just wanted to say that. Okay, so as I said, there's a lot of great information on trauma. For this particular episode, I'm going to start with really defining what trauma is, uh, potential impacts of traumatic stress, and then really moving into what effective treatments are out there. Okay, so that's where I want to start today, and then in future podcasts, I'll get more into other subjects related to this topic. Okay, so the first book I was ever introduced to that really helped me to understand what trauma is uh, was recommended by um, some really great mentors and teachers who taught me a lot about trauma. Um, And so the book is called Trauma and Recovery, and it's by Judith Herman. And she defines trauma as this, okay? And I quote, Psychological trauma is an affiliation of the powerless. At the moment of trauma, the victim is rendered helpless by overwhelming force. 
When the force is that of nature, we speak of disasters. And when the force is that of other human beings, we speak of atrocities. Traumatic events overwhelm the ordinary systems of care that give people a sense of control, connection, and meaning. Okay, and she goes on to say this. Traumatic events generally involve threats to life or bodily integrity or a close personal encounter with violence and death. They confront human beings with the extremities of helplessness and terror and evoke the response of catastrophe. Okay, so that was a lot to take in. And I want to focus in on this idea of and what Herman talks about as when the traumatic event is caused by you know, a nature, like a natural disaster, a tornado, uh, an earthquake, it's going to be experienced usually, probably, very differently from when it's, from when the traumatic event arises out of, is caused by another person. Um, Think about it for a minute. So a natural disaster versus someone who intentionally tries to hurt you. Um, and it also starts to look different, um, if it's a stranger, okay, versus someone that you know, um, that's a whole, adds a whole other complexity to it. So how close is one to another person who caused that traumatic event? Okay, so the International Society for the Study of Trauma and Dissociation um, has a site for both professionals and the general public. So if you need further resources, I think that they have a really great site with really good information. Um, And so they go into like a whole range of how traumas can show up. And so before I go into the specific definition um, or another definition, I'm just going to share a little bit of that with you. So they differentiate between things like natural disasters, those so-called acts of God, um, tsunamis, earthquakes. Uh, They also get into this idea of the unintentional accident caused by human error. So that can be like a car accident. for example. Um, Another one would be an act of what they describe as gross negligence. So a car accident actually caused by a drunk driver. So somebody who should not have gotten their car was intoxicated and caused an accident. Um, A collapse of a building due to um, construction that was faulty. And then finally, they differentiate this idea of intentional interpersonal violence, which I was kind of talking about, which could include things like assault and domestic violence, child abuse, genocide, war. Okay. Okay, so I recently saw American Sniper, and it's based on the true story of Chris Kyle, who served four tours in the Iraq War. Um, And I do think that you know, in some respects, while there's a lot of controversy around this movie, um, as far as what kind of political statement it's making, and uh, also about character development, I do think that there were parts of it that did give a good representation of what this intentional interpersonal violence can look like. It was just one narrative of that, as well as without really getting into, um, you know, an overt description of post-traumatic stress disorder. You really see what that can look like with somebody returning from a war. So returning from a war zone into, you know, back to their community, back to their family, um, where, you know, life is supposed to be safe at that point. But the war keeps on 
imposing itself and intruding on somebody's life. So I am going to share some thoughts about that compared to what I'm going to talk about when I talk about post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, so in, in understanding some of the potential reactions that can happen you know, after a trauma is over, I'm just going to start with post-traumatic stress disorder today. And I want to, there are other trauma stressor related disorders, but I really want to focus on this one. Receives a lot of attention in the news. I'm still surprised that there continues to be some sort of stigma around it. Um, I know not everybody or in all communities have that stigma, but, um, you know, the goal is to really continue to get information out there um, so that people can understand that uh, it is, you know, a natural response to um, horrific uh, situations and that there is effective treatment out there for it. So research around PTSD really began to take off uh, during um, and really after the Vietnam War. So you know, for previous wars, there had always been observations and descriptions around what some of the soldiers were experiencing returning from war. Um, and we really got more understanding um, beginning with uh, the Vietnam War and since. Now, PTSD itself is not just a war-related disorder, um, but it was the beginning of our understanding about, you know, triggers and re-experiencing, um, which I'm going to get into. So PTSD, the diagnosis itself, can be found in the Diagnostic uh, and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. The most recent edition, which is the fifth edition, or DSM-5, came out uh, in 2013 and published by the American Psychiatric Association. So to actually receive a diagnosis of PTSD, one of the criteria is that you actually have to have a traumatic event or events that happened um, prior to, you know, the, the reactions, which I'm going to get into. But the DSM-5 uh, describes that event as this, um, an event that is that involves exposure to actual or threatened death, serious injury, or sexual violence. And they kind of list different ways in which that exposure can be experienced. So at the beginning of the podcast, I listed different kinds of traumas, a whole range of what those can be. So when we talk about post-traumatic stress disorder, there's also different ways in which one can experience those traumas. So the one that we often think of is the direct experiencing that happening to a person, the trauma actually happening to someone. So if you think of, for example, um, a car accident. So if a person has developed PTSD and they directly experience the trauma, then um, they were in that car accident. So I know that makes you know a lot of sense. It's basically what we could call direct experiencing. Another way in which a person can experience a trauma is witnessing. So witnessing an event happening, happening to others. So this could be actually being on the scene of a car accident. So seeing the car accident happen, you know, being a bystander standing on the street, being a witness. Um, you know, maybe some of us have seen robberies happen. Uh, you know, so if you witness somebody else being robbed when you're on the street, uh, that's another way in which to experience a trauma. So directly experiencing, witnessing, 
Um, the other way in which people can experience traumatic events is learning that an event happened to a close friend or family member. So I'm sure some of you listening have had that experience where you get a telephone call or someone you know, sits you down to tell you that something bad happened to someone that you really care about. Okay, so lastly is this repeated um, exposure to aversive details um, or actually showing up on the scene, like what we would say first responders do, like firefighters, police officers. Think about all the things that they encounter on a daily basis. They never quite know what they're going to get, and so they hear and see uh pretty awful stuff. They may arrive on the scene as something's happening. They may have to, uh, you know, speak to people involved. So this this last part that I'm really talking about, that doesn't have to do with watching that new, the news. It, it does have to, it's more connected to those uh, that are uh, our first responders. Okay, so what can people experience who are experiencing post-traumatic stress disorder? Um, I'm going to use the example of, because we have been talking about war, but thinking about a soldier coming back from a war, uh, because we often have seen movies or we have scenes in our mind of what that looks like uh, based on the news um, or other things that we've heard. So when we think about what somebody encounters in a war, and for me, because I recently saw that movie, I'm thinking of American Sniper and, you know, Bradley Cooper playing uh, Chris Kyle, who is serving these four tours, who's bombarded with all these different kinds of experiences, life-threatening experiences, and he's also on the other side of not only being shot at himself, but also being the shooter. And so we see the direct experiencing we see the way in which he witnesses others, you know, what their own traumatic experiences are um, throughout being in a war zone, whether that be uh, civilians, you know, other people, families, children who are experiencing uh, the horrors that go along with war. Um, and also the hearing about, which I mentioned earlier, that another way that post-traumatic stress can show up or come out of a particular traumatic event is hearing about um, the trauma that happened to a close friend or family member. So that throughout these tours, he experienced trauma in these different contexts, directly experiencing, witnessing, and hearing about a close friend. So in movies about war, we often see uh, a soldier returning, what that transition is like moving from a war zone back home. So after the tour is over, after the war is over. And in the case of the movie that I've been describing, Kyle returns after four tours and we see what that looks like, you know, moving back to his family, his friends and his community. So with Kyle, we definitely saw what we would describe as intrusive symptoms, avoidance of reminders of the war and the tours that he had been a part of. We definitely see different ways in which his thoughts about the world have shifted, as well as um, the guy who used to seem pretty laid back, uh, engaged with others. And um, when we first meet him in the movie, good sense of humor, you know, we still see some of that, but we definitely see when he returns, um, you know, we see the anger, we see some of the guilt, um, we see 
uh, some of the rage associated with what he had been through. We definitely see also what we would describe as just a change in um, arousal and reactivity. So we definitely see the hypervigilance, the, you know, as he's driving, for example, we see him um, driving in his car and you see him continuing to look over his shoulder. You see him kind of stressed. He's driving with his wife in the in the car and it's clear that he's not able to really concentrate on their conversation, but he's more alert uh, to what is around him. And clearly it's just a bunch of cars driving down the street. Um, but remember, he had just come out of a zone where uh, when you were driving, you were constantly worried about the threat of being shot at or bombs going off, which actually he had encountered uh, during his tours. There's a scene where he's just simply sitting on the sofa at first, it looks like he's watching television, but then you see that the television is off and you just see him staring off. You can't quite tell if is he having some sort of intrusive thoughts? Is he thinking about? Is he more in like kind of a dissociation where he's, you know, kind of more in a trance-like state where he might be experiencing, you know, certain fragments of uh, what happened during that time? Um, and, you know, there can be a numbing out and avoidance of any sort of reminder. There's um, a guy that he runs into in the movie who I think had served within, who was in one of the tours with him, may have even been in his unit. But it's clear that Kyle, you know, runs into him at some store and Kyle's with one of his children. And you see him not really want to engage in this conversation. The guy's trying to talk about what a great guy Kyle was in the war and what a hero he was, uh, pretty much. And Kyle just, you see him kind of um, maybe a little bit agitated, wanting to get out of there. Um, and that could be associated with some of the wanting to, the avoidance of any reminders of the war, reminders of his experiences, people, places. Uh, but this person definitely was a reminder of an, an, ex an unexpected person that Kyle ran into. But you just see him wanting to, to move to get out of that um, situation and not continue to talk to him. Okay, so I want to talk about flashbacks and triggers for a moment. And flashbacks are associated with, associated with the intrusive symptoms associated with post-traumatic stress disorder. So... When we're in our present moment, it's like the past intruding on the present moment. So stuff that happened during those maybe one traumatic event or ongoing traumatic events uh, comes into uh, where one is in their present moment. Okay, so I'm going to use the example of a car accident. So in a car accident... And I'm going to talk about the sensations and thoughts and feelings that can go along with that um, during the event and after the event itself. But think about all the sounds that would be associated with a car accident. There's the screeching of brakes. There's the actual crash of the car. Um, there might be sounds coming from people. Um, there's can be a silent aftermath, like a brief silence um, after kind of the, the dust of the car accident has settled. Um, there's the emergency vehicles that show up, the sounds of those, the sights of the lights flashing, 
the smell of gasoline. These are all part of kind of the sensory experience of it. You know, um, there might be chaos. So what are the body sensations in that moment? You know, often people will go into a fight or flight response, some sort of stress response. Um, what are, were the thoughts like at that time? There can be a feeling of helplessness, hopelessness. There can be some sort of anger or rage depending on the context of the car accident itself. So I'm just giving you a couple examples of what uh, one could experience, um, what people experience in their sensory field uh, in, in such an event. Now, in the case of war, in the movie uh, itself, American Sniper were brought into just complete sensory experience um, in one of the scenes. We, you actually kind of feel what it would be like to be in this really large dust storm and trying to get out of there. And um, while there, there's sh- the shooting going on. So what are the smells? What are the sounds? Uh, what is one internally experience, experiencing? Okay, so... You want to start with this to really understand what can happen with a trigger is that a trigger is the actual thing in the environment that can bring one back into, um, you know, PTSD reactions. And that can include a flashback. The scary thing about flashbacks for people who are um, experiencing uh, PTSD is this, is that they, there's the fear of like, I don't know when this is going to happen next. It's, it's predictably unpredictable. And think about like the, the trauma isn't over. You could experience this anywhere in your everyday life and how terrifying that would be. So the trigger itself can happen externally. So someplace in the environment, it could be more conscious and known, but typically it's unknown. Because one is one can enter into some sort of flashback or start to have intrusive thoughts um, or distress just because of what is coming up, what the um, what that thing in the environment is. So think about one who had experienced a car accident. If there's the screeching of brakes uh, and you're on the street and you hear some screeching of brakes, but that but there's no car accident that could bring one um, into kind of an intrusive reaction. Um, now, a flashback has is is can be on a continuum. So there can be at what one end of the continuum being a complete on experiencing like one is actually there. So I think of the Fourth of July, for example. Uh, it's interesting that we celebrate, you know, our Independence Day, and we you know, vets might show up for um, people who have served their country often, you know, participate in these events, right? And so fireworks and certain smells uh, can actually be triggers for what one experienced during uh, a war. A colleague of mine shared an experience who actually has worked directly with um, vets at the VA and described actually being at a 4th of July uh, celebration. There were fireworks and there were actually helicopters going over. And he saw uh, someone go into a complete on flashback, really believed that they were in a war zone um, and kind of going for cover and absolutely terrified. So that's one, one example of being on that end of the continuum. Now, 
there can be this dual awareness of I'm having a flashback and I know where I am. So there can be certain feelings that were associated with the original trauma, um, maybe feelings of helplessness or terror that are showing up while the person completely is aware of their surroundings. So some people might be very silent in that. People may want to walk away, sometimes run away, um, because the, the feelings are can be very overwhelming. Um, a smell can bring somebody back to uh, what somebody might have been uh, like wearing or a particular perfume or cologne that was being worn during um, a trauma that was experienced. So um, it can bring back the feelings, the body sensations, the actual feeling of being there. Um, so a flashback isn't necessarily, you know, full on in, but that can be an experience. Um, and then there can be these kind of fragmented parts, um, particular experiences that are activated and re-experienced. So flashbacks, um, intrusive symptoms, external triggers, internal triggers, those being feelings and body sensations, um, can't be willed away. Um, somebody experiencing PTSD needs to needs to get help. And I really encourage you to watch a video that I posted on my website on thebluecouch.com and it shows Dr. Peter Levine working with a Marine whose transport was blown up by two bombs. And it really follows, you see him with the involuntary um, movements that are that can be associated with PTSD and uh, Dr. Levine sitting with him um, and really finding out a little bit more about his experience, what he's experiencing in that moment, and taking him through this therapy called somatic experiencing. So you'll get a sense of exactly um, what that can look like. And Dr. Peter Levine describes this process. Okay, so the belief is that we really have natural healing mechanisms within us uh, to move through uh, post-traumatic stress responses. Um, so that can include eye movement desensitization reprocessing or EMDR. So it's a psychotherapy integrative approach that actually brings together um, a few different therapies uh, using standardized protocols. Um, I encourage you to watch a video that I've posted that is actually a 2020 um, clip um, that really looks at um, the therapy that was created by uh, Francine Shapiro. So I don't want to go into great description about it right now, and I will do that in a future podcast. I will do a podcast specifically on EMDR, but I just want to introduce you to even the name. Um, and then I will also list uh, Getting Past Your Past, which is the book associated uh, for people wanting to learn more about what EMDR is. But um, it is an evidence-based therapy, meaning there's been a lot of research that um, that validates that it is a useful um, therapy for treating PTSD, as well as a whole range of um, other things that are, um, are, are challenging to people. Um, but we're focusing on trauma today. So um, I would check out the link in the book, read more about it. Um, there's, I'm also listing the website uh, so you can find out more and 
look at frequently asked questions about it. Um, Another therapy that's found effective is trauma-sensitive yoga. Um, I provided a link to find out more about that. Um, And there's also another article that was um, in the New York Times interviewing Bessel van der Kolk, who is... uh, who has done a great amount of research in the area of trauma and really how the body, the mind, brain, and body really work together um, and how to really treat trauma through what we know about uh, the brain and what has been researched. So I'm completely oversimplifying um, the information that is out there, but it's a really interesting article because it gets into treating trauma um in really thinking about how to work with the body in treating trauma. Um, so the goal of trauma therapy, and um, Babette Rothschild talks about this in her book, The Body Remembers, is to make the traumatic event a past event. It's over. The body no longer responds or is intruded on in the present moment with the traumatic event, okay? Um the other thing is is to eliminate post-traumatic stress-related symptoms, the intrusive, the, in, the avoidance, um, the, the hyper-arousal that I've talked about. Okay, so in ending uh, the podcast for today, I do want to end with this idea of for those of you seeking um, some sort of uh, walking through the healing process. If you've experienced a trauma or know someone else, I do recommend finding a therapist that has trauma experience. So one of the specialties is working with trauma. You want to find out things like what age group, what kind of therapies they utilize within their practice. Are they certified in particular Um therapies? Are they on their way to getting certified? Um, So it isn't like a one-size-fits-all kind of treatment uh, when we talk about trauma. It's, It's a creative process that's also based in science. And so asking questions, not being afraid to ask questions to find out if a therapist is the right fit for you. Um, And I also want to say that you should never feel like you are forced to talk about your story, Uh, having to repeat and talk about your trauma again and again um, isn't necessarily, um, if it doesn't feel productive, it probably is not. Um, So can you talk about your trauma? Of course, but being required to um, go into detail or talk about certain aspects um, is, is not required. You should never be forced to do something uh, that could be re-traumatizing. So I do want to mention that. So Babette uh, Rothschild in her book, The Body Remembers, she talks about some of the goals of trauma therapy. And a couple things that she says is to, one, eliminate PTSD symptoms. So the intrusive thoughts, the hyperarousal, the avoidance. Um, And she talks about also to make the traumatic event a past event. It's like it's remembered, but it's not experienced in the present, okay? Uh, some people think that they're, they're going to forget that that's part of healing from trauma, and that's not the case. It's just that it doesn't intrude like it does with PTSD. 
Okay, so thanks for listening today. And in future podcasts, I'm going to go more into detail with the mind-body-brain connection when we talk about trauma, other trauma stressor-related disorders, what those can look like. Again, going more into detail around some of the treatments that I talked about today, the therapies that I talked about today. Um, And that's it for right now. If you have any questions, please feel free to email me at Kathleen at OnTheBlueCouch.com. And I look forward to uh, your questions and comments. Until next time.